0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan, and Activision Blizzard, it's been too long. No, honestly, it has. We've got a pileup of stories here today, and if you aren't familiar with the impetus behind all of this, just know that Activision Blizzard is currently facing a lawsuit from the state of California for alleged violations of their discrimination and harassment statutes, sexual harassment and discrimination on the basis of sex, wage, promotion, hiring, termination, etc. And Activision has had such difficulty navigating these waters that this will be the 30th video in this playlist talking about all aspects of what's happened both at Activision and in a number of other companies, which we'll talk about in this episode as well. Now let's get to it. So many updates. This will be a little bit of an unusual episode of Virtual Legality. We're going to be talking about a lot of things. I'm going to be giving my legal commentary on them, messaging as well, but at a fairly rapid clip. I really do have a lot of updates to go over, so hang with us. We're about to dive in. First and foremost, Stephen Totillo, at Stephen Totillo on Twitter, talking about the ESA, the trade association that talks about and on behalf of the video game industry as a lobbying group and generally making public statements about what it sees. They hadn't commented on the Activision Blizzard situation, and so Steven Tutillo kind of looks like dragged it out of them. And as you might expect from such an association of which Activision is a member, not a ton is said. As Steven Tutillo frames it, as the industry's leading trade group and the hosts of E3, they're in a position to speak to the conduct of their member publishers. Here's their statement. Harassment, abuse, or mistreatment of any kind in the workplace is unacceptable and must never be tolerated. When allegations arise, people impacted need to have their voices heard. Any allegation needs to be acknowledged, thoroughly investigated, and addressed with meaningful consequences. The vitality of our industry requires that everyone in the workplace and in our communities feels valued and respected. As an industry association, the ESA convenes its member companies to create dialogue and shape actions to ensure that these beliefs are realized it's a whole lot of words without a ton of saying anything right that's public relations that's communications vetted if you've ever wanted to see it now it's also worthwhile to note that you could have told us that this came from any of the companies we've discussed as part of this playlist microsoft sony activision nintendo whomever and it would all look the same the magic words are known by these companies the impact of them is what is at issue here. Activision knows what to say. That's part of this story. You can go into their handbook, which is quoted in the class action lawsuit brought by some of their investors and see that they say the right things about harassment and discrimination, etc. So this is not a paper problem for Activision. If there is a problem and these allegations continue to kind of pour in, and it seems more and more likely that Activision really does have a cultural issue at its core, The issue is just that, cultural, and not what their lawyers told them to put in their employee handbook. So much like Activision, I can't give a lot of credence to what the ESA has to say here because ultimately they don't say anything. Now, I also want to at least give the devil's advocacy position of acknowledging that the ESA is made up of these members. They are paid for by these members. The members control them in a very real way. Activision is a major player in that. And so the ESA probably can't go any farther, especially as advised to them by their own attorneys, than investigate allegations, address whatever you find with meaningful consequences. And I think we can all agree with that, but it doesn't say much about the Activision situation on the whole. The other thing I want to point out before we dive into some of the other topics here is that you will see some repeating sources. Stephen Totillo and Axios do a fantastic job of keeping things updated, especially on controversies in the video game industry highly recommend the follow on Twitter and you'll see him and Axios pop up in a couple of places as well as the Washington Post and their launcher service or subset sub brand which also does a great job of covering these articles even if I wind up sometimes disagreeing or parsing out their editorial positions a little bit more they do a fantastic job sourcing this check them both out number one down number two very interesting i think this kind of slid under the radar for a few folks microsoft shareholders call for transparency and here we are in late november and again we get a stephen totello sourced shareholder proposal if you aren't familiar with how corporations work especially public corporations they have an annual meeting in which the shareholders can vote on certain things generally speaking the board tells them what to vote on and the shareholders generally go in the direction of the board but a shareholder can propose things for the other shareholders to vote on. Here in front of you is just such a proposal in which Arjuna Capital, an investment firm that is invested in Microsoft, proposes that the board of directors release a transparency report to shareholders assessing the effectiveness of the company's workplace sexual harassment policies, including the results of any comprehensive independent audit investigations, analysis of policies and practices, and commitments to creating a safe and inclusive work environment. And in the recitals here, before they get to that proposed resolution, they talk about the fact that Microsoft, who, remember, was getting a substantial amount of pressure, at least their gaming division, to comment on the Activision situation. Here, Arjuna Capital goes over the history of Microsoft. In 2012, a class action lawsuit was brought by 238 Microsoft workers alleging gender discrimination. Claims resurfaced in April 2019. As of 2020, Microsoft employees stated that internal reports had yet to be seen and that they were unaware of the newly formed team investigating these kinds of things. So you can see, and Activision isn't alone in this, but certainly video gaming, electronics, and software is under the eye of Sauron when it comes to regulatory bodies and seemingly justifiably so with more and more coming out seemingly each day that these shareholders said, hey, let's vote up more transparency. You owe it to the people that are funding your company to tell us what's happening. We just talked about the ESA and their commentary not meaning much because what matters is how it is implemented and what happens on the ground. Here, the Microsoft shareholders are proposing that they get a report that says, hey, how effective are these policies? Are people actually following the handbook requirements? Are they getting investigated? Are they doing what the ESA says should be done? What really all well-meaning people say should be done, listen to the allegations, investigate them, and impose consequences. And to be honest, most of these kinds of proposals are going to be voted down. The board is going to advise the shareholders on what they feel should happen with any given proposal. Here, the board apparently said, look, Microsoft is planning to issue more transparency reports. They're already reporting things internally. You should vote against this. And yet, when we get the results from the Microsoft shareholders meeting, we see this bullet in which the shareholders approved the shareholder proposal by Arjuna Capital to prepare a report on the company's workplace sexual harassment policies. Microsoft already shares with employees annual data on the volume of sexual harassment concerns raised and the results of harassment investigations and has adopted plans to begin annual public reporting, which is good because the shareholders just advised them to do so. And if you go and you look at this list, which I will link in the description, you'll see that most of the shareholder proposals, which aren't originating at the board level, are rejected, including another one from Arjuna Capital, to prepare a report on median race and gender gaps. That was rejected by the shareholders. But the shareholders are very interested in getting more transparency about sexual harassment policies because they see what kind of business effect that has on the future of a company and from an investor's perspective, on the value of their stock holdings in that company. A fact which we will hit at the end of this video as we talk about Activision's somewhat tumultuous November in respect of its stock price. So we got Microsoft shareholders call for transparency down now. In late October, same day roughly, we have the leader or a leader of a better ABK exiting Blizzard, announcing her exit. If you aren't familiar with Jessica Gonzalez, she was somebody that was referenced in a lot of the stories about a better ABK, which we've referred to in this space as a proto-union. They are working with a significant registered union to potentially unionize Activision, which would be by far one of the biggest stories, perhaps in the history of the video game industry. It's unclear whether that's proceeding at all at this point, or what, if any, uptake that has internally at Activision Blizzard. But... It is important to note that Jessica Gonzalez was, in some respects, the face of a better ABK at the company, organizing things like the walkouts we saw in the summer and in the fall. And she says, enough is enough. I'm getting out of Blizzard. Unfortunately, this is a goodbye message. It's been a journey over the years, and I have made the decision to leave Blizzard by putting my well-being first, still sticking it to him as she exits. Says, don't forget what so many passionate developers worked hard towards and continue to work towards in my absence. Let your passion and the passion of those around you drive the spark that ignites meaningful change. And to Bobby Kotick, your inaction and refusal to take accountability is driving out great talent and the products will suffer until you are removed from your position as CEO. This may seem harsh, but you had years to fix the culture and look at where the company currently stands. In fact, Bobby Kotick, in some respects, could be called the culture himself, right? He saved Activision from the brink of bankruptcy, and he's been in control of it for decades upon decades. But regardless of how you feel about Mr. Kotick, this is a significant move of a leader, a leader voice at the company getting out. As Axios reports, Gonzalez told Axios that organization efforts within the company are still going strong, but also Axios got a quote from an employee that says the group is more than her, but she was the spark that started the explosion. So if you are interested in the unionization aspect of this, of the walkouts and the commentary from A Better ABK and what's happening at Activision, Along with what's happening at places like Ubisoft, there's been a clear kind of combination of interests with a better Ubisoft and a better ABK kind of talking back and forth in social media. This is potentially a significant event and somewhat of a sad one. If you think she was a voice for change and you think they were making progress at a better ABK, something of a step back. And it'll be interesting to see if they're having a leadership vacuum in that organization potentially makes them stronger or if they go away in the broad scope of this entire controversy. I'm certainly interested in seeing that. I know a number of a better ABK people watch this channel. uh, So it'll be interesting to see what y'all do. It'll be interesting to see what Activision Blizzard does with a slightly different internal voice calling for change. And that's my so many updates, right? Three updates, clearly, 11 minutes. This is what you were expecting, right? Nah, we got another slide. So many updates, part two. And these are stories primarily that were brought to me. Over the course of the last week, I've been covering other things. You can see in our playlists and on my video page, we've had a number of other topics to discuss, and frankly, I didn't want the channel to be solely Activision Blizzard for all time. And yet, some of these smaller stories started piling up, the first of which is a story about state treasurers trying to put pressure on Activision. Now, if you've been in virtual legality for a while, you know one of the things I try to do is be a little bit circumspect about things that are reported on all over the place, especially with respect to corporate governance. There was a story going on that was on social media a lot about how shareholders were calling for Bobby Kotick's resignation. And I looked at that story and you could tell that the investors in question were activist investors, nothing wrong with that, but they were doing what was expected of them in the script for these kinds of things. And they represented a very, very small portion of the shareholders that actually held an interest in Activision. That's a part of that story. And to be fair to these journalists, they mostly reported on that, but it was a little bit buried in the articles. Here, Axios doesn't actually do long articles, but the question that I found most important in this story was at least a little bit buried. So let's see how Axios reports it. It says, The pressure on Activision Blizzard to make meaningful change over harassment allegations, unequal pay, and other workplace issues is intensifying as the treasurers from California... Massachusetts, Illinois, Oregon, Delaware, and Nevada are calling on the company to take action. Now that's a limited number of treasurers and arguably the most important of which is California. Activision operates in California. Activision is being sued by California. California has a huge population base with huge pension funds that invest an enormous amount of money in the stock market and may well have an interest in Activision. One of the problems with this story, as we'll see, is it's entirely unclear what kind of interest these state treasurers actually have. They say in a November 23rd letter reported here for the first time, the treasurers asked Activision Blizzard's board of directors for a meeting. These treasurers didn't just submit a shareholder proposal, didn't just say, we want to mention something out in public. They asked them for a meeting to discuss your response to the challenges and investment risk exposures. That face Activision now if you own a significant portion of a public company and significant doesn't have to be a huge number there could be even a couple percent by that point in time you are well and truly invested in a public company of the market capitalization that Activision has if you have that maybe you can get a meeting Uh, with the board of directors. Maybe you can get a meeting with management, not in this particular circumstance, but in others. It's enormously difficult, however, because, well, frankly, even at a small percentage, you are only a small portion of what the board and management has to worry about. So they ask for a meeting. It's a meeting I think Activision is gonna be disinclined to grant, but the purpose of this is somewhat political. You've got treasurers of state institutions acting in a way that they would seek public change through things like this, reporting on this letter. The treasurer's noted that they would weigh a call to vote against the reelection of incumbent directors. So the way this works is, as I said, the board basically nominates itself or makes certain changes. The shareholders vote up the slate that the board recommends, or they don't. Or a shareholder proposes an alternative slate, or they have individual votes on the board. It depends on a whole host of things, including the bylaws, et cetera. But suffice it to say, Generally speaking, the status quo reigns. And this is one of those things that if you're in law school or maybe even if you're in business school, you'll get a talking to about here's how the corporation is supposed to work. The shareholders own the company and they can elect or get rid of the board of directors. But when you do it by slate, when the board's in functional control of the company, something of that communication and infrastructure of the way a corporation works is at least a little bit broken because each individual shareholder, as we just discussed, doesn't have the, the right to really affect change, doesn't have the ability necessarily to call for those meetings. And so all they can do is do what the SOC did, call for his resignation and say, we're going to pressure you, submit those proposals as we saw Arjuna did, or here with these state treasurers say, well, we'd like a meeting. And if we don't get one, we're going to consider a lot calling to vote against the re-election of the incumbent directors, moving for a different slate. If you don't do what we say, we're going to really think about voting you out, which, hey, is fair. You have to take it seriously. These are government officials here. And yet, as we see, as we follow along with this, we still don't know exactly what kind of position they have in the company. We think there needs to be sweeping changes made in the company, says Illinois State Treasurer Michael Freyrichs. He cited accounts from the past few months involving harassment allegations and unequal pay. Sure. We're concerned that the current CEO and board directors don't have the skill set nor the conviction to institute these sweeping changes needed to transform their culture to restore trust with employees and shareholders and their partners. Fair enough. A lot of folks would agree with that sentiment. Massachusetts Treasurer Deborah Goldberg says this particular case has been waiting for the board to step in and do an investigation, a true investigation, an outside investigator, And I mean, what was it two weeks ago that they said they stand by the CEO? Like a number of you that watch this channel and elsewhere, you had an issue with the board on the same day that the Wall Street Journal article was coming out against Bobby Kotick, essentially deciding to circle the wagons, to put a wall between Bobby and some of the criticism he was facing, rather than saying, well, we should investigate this or doing something else. Now, remember, as I talked about in this space, the board was caught in at least a bit of a rock and a hard place because... The board was implicated in some of the things that the Wall Street Journal reported on, specifically the lack of curiosity from the board as to what Bobby Kotick had been reporting and a general lack of information that is required of members of a board of directors to actually fulfill their fiduciary responsibilities to those shareholders that ostensibly are in control of the company. So the board might itself be compromised and worried about things that maybe it shouldn't be worried about, but that are at least understandable because, hey, you don't wanna take on extra exposure risk for yourself if you can avoid it. Now we get to where the rubber hits the road. As Axios reports, the Treasurer's manage about a trillion dollars in assets, good number, not pertinent to what we're talking about. As I said, state pension plans and other assets that the Treasury might control are huge, especially in California. But as Axios reports, It's unclear how much Activision stock and therefore how much voting power they have. Freirex confirmed that Illinois has investments in Activision Blizzard and is therefore impacted by the company's plummeting stock price. We'll see more on that at the end of the video. But declined to say how much. Red flag. One thing the treasurers bring is also a bit of a spotlight here and a little public pressure as well, he said. So... It's not all just about the number of dollars and number of shares that we have. Double red flag, right? In fact, this quote to me can be read between the lines pretty pretty succinctly as we don't actually have a significant interest in Activision Blizzard. At least Illinois doesn't. It's unclear whether they got interest from everyone else. But generally speaking, when you go out with a letter like was being reported on here and you have a significant interest in the company, you blare the trumpets. You shout that out for all to hear because you want Activision and the people to know that you own a significant portion of the company and are concerned with the way it is being managed. If you can't do that, if you go out with quotes that say, hey, it's not about how big our interest is, then I think you can be safe to assume that the interest isn't all that substantial. Uh, And that creates a problem with the story. Not because every given citizen shouldn't be allowed to say, hey, Activision, you look like you suck right now. That's totally fair. I know a number of you do it in my comments. But in terms of this kind of letter getting this kind of attention, it really should be someone that's financially interested in the success of Activision Blizzard. And even though Freirex is here saying, hey, we have some investments in them, it seems unlikely that they are all too significant. And so the treasury pressure itself is going to be relatively insignificant and what they're looking to do is make a political point bring a spotlight and a little public pressure as if activision wasn't facing that already so when i look at this treasury article and a lot of you sent it to me thanks to everybody who did i look at it as a bit of a non-starter in terms of a follow-up i look at it as somebody trying to get out there with politics and make a point and it might be a justified point but not one that they can affect on their own or at all, if we're being honest. Fryricks even says that the EEOC settlement isn't significant because I look at that as a penalty and as perhaps an admission of wrongs in the past, but we're long-term investors and we want to see those risks that caused that penalty addressed so they don't happen again. You can point to, hey, we paid the victims, we're making them whole, but if you are continuing a culture that creates new victims in the future, you are creating more risk for your company, which is valid But the EEOC is the jumping off point is odd. In fact, the reason the EEOC is under at least some scrutiny in the public is because $18 million to Activision is effectively a rounding error on one of their Bobby Kotick bonus checks. So when we talk about this, there isn't a ton of threat to investors. It's why the SEC investigation of this particular aspect, the fact that they didn't disclose that they were under investigation by the EEOC is unlikely to find purchase. It's because the EEOC asking for $18 million is not significant to really the company's bottom line, the investor's bottom line, or anybody else's bottom line, except of course the individuals affected by whatever culture is permeating Activision Blizzard. So what we've got here is treasurers being politicians, which is fine, putting out things to get noticed in places like Axios, and I just think a lot of the other things we're updating you on today are more pertinent than this particular story. But again, I thank everybody for sharing it with me. Now, on to the Game Awards. If you aren't familiar, the Game Awards are Jeff Keighley's baby. He's been doing these kinds of things forever. They're held in December. They are largely a YouTube playlist of video game trailers interspersed with somewhat uncomfortable celebrity speeches and then the occasional award announcement either in a bottom Chiron that you can miss or in a 30 second blast between advertisements for The Fast and Furious and The Matrix. Now, that description is accurate. I actually still kind of like it. I will say that Keeley and the Game Awards do a fantastic job with their intro video every year as a celebration of gaming. I tend to like that as a, as a lover of games myself. But the overall award show could do a bit better. But it's still noteworthy, and the Washington Post decided to do an article on it. And one specific area of it jumped out for a lot of people reporting on the industry itself. And this p- section went as follows. Keeley said he is thinking about how to navigate the event's involvement with Activision Blizzard, just as major game publishers have said they are reevaluating their relationships with the company out of concern over the lawsuit's allegations and those reported in a recent Wall Street Journal article. Now, here, I want to at least change a little bit of what the Washington Post puts out here, comment on it a little bit. Part of the story of what Microsoft, Nintendo, and Sony have done is that they haven't made a public statement, they haven't said They are reevaluating their relationships. What has been done is that higher ups in those companies have sent internal emails to their employees with the acknowledgement that, hey, we're going to work on this and chances are you're going to leak this email to somebody that's going to report on it. So they're getting their thoughts out there in the way that offers them the least amount of exposure as advised to them almost certainly by their financial folks, their lawyers, the crisis management team, whoever it might be. So it's a little bit unusual to frame it as they have said. They've confirmed certain aspects of emails that have gone out, at least Xbox has. I know I've seen that one, but they haven't made public statements. That's part of the criticism that is being leveled at these companies. And so it's a little bit unclear whether they should be getting credit for having said anything at all. This continues in the Washington Post with the following. We want to support employees and developers, said Keeley, who added he supported people coming forward with their stories, but also didn't want to diminish developers' opportunities to spotlight their games. We have to think very carefully about how to proceed here. And as always with an article, I'm looking very closely at where the quotation marks are. So this section, which I think is actually the most pertinent, isn't quoted. And I always find that to be a little bit of a problem in these stories. If it's going to be the most significant section of your paragraph, that should probably be the quote from the source. But Washington Post says the following, Who added he supported people coming forward with their stories, but also didn't want to diminish developers' opportunities to spotlight their games. One thing is completely oblique here. It's completely obfuscated. When he says developers' opportunities to spotlight their games, is he talking about Activision or is he talking about other developers? Is the concept that having, I don't know, a moment of silence or something that talks about the Activision Blizzard ongoing allegations at the show itself, taking away from time that would be allotted to other developers? Or is he talking about Activision itself? Right. One of the things that I think gets lost, and, and again, I want to give my bias here. My brother no longer works at an Activision subsidiary. He has moved on to hopefully greener pastures, but he certainly did. And one of the things that's happening internally there, and I have a number of folks that reach out to me and ask not to be named and all these kinds of things. So you can take this with exactly the grain of salt I tell you to take any other report is that there is a general lack of morale in certain quarters of the company. These folks really do give their heart and soul to making whatever they are making, whether it's a Call of Duty Vanguard game that maybe they love, maybe they don't, Warzone, something else at the company. And it does seem sometimes like a double penalty when you're talking about something like the Game Awards, where you have to exist in an environment which maybe is as bad as the folks suggest and the stories coming out about Activision Blizzard. And then for your trouble, you who didn't do anything, maybe aren't even in a company or subsidiary that's even under investigation or discussion here. Now, in every article about your game, in every mention of your game, gets a little header at the top of an IGN article talking about the allegations and has quotes like the one Jeff Keighley put out there questioning whether you should even be allowed to be involved in what's a celebration of the gaming industry. And I get where everybody's criticism is coming from here. I get saying, well, we can't separate that in such a fashion. We can't say, Activision Blizzard is its people. And so they should get to be there while also looking and giving the side eye to Activision Blizzard as a culture. And yet, in some respects, that seems the right thing to do. I'm reminded of my love of sports. If you don't know, my Michigan Wolverines are Big Ten champions. I do try to reference that kind of thing as much as I can. But one of the things that happens is schools often get penalized for violating some NCAA rule or another. And in general, what happens is the school gets penalized years after the student-athletes or coaches or whomever were the ones that caused the problem because the NCAA is the slowest-moving deliberative body in the world, and that includes most government organizations. And they then penalize the school and the student-athletes that are there at the time in a fashion which is, I think to everybody's opinion, wildly unfair, except the alternative is to do nothing at all. So Jeff Keighley is stuck in a rock in a hard place. And I honestly think, this was reported on in a lot of places, folks came down too hard on someone that's putting together an entrepreneurial show with a member of the Activision Blizzard board of directors uh, on his board, or I think it's a manager, I think it's a president at Activision Blizzard, and trying to navigate a very tricky proposition. Well, personally, not seemingly too invested in wanting to talk about these very thorny issues. And to be honest, that's his prerogative. He wants to celebrate gaming. Activision Blizzard puts a bit of a pall on it. He's trying to figure out how to handle that but it's not the job of the game awards to settle what amounts to legal disputes. And it's important to remember as part of that story that we are still talking about allegations. Yes, they look more and more likely to find some kind of success. Yes, though, the state of California probably reached a bit too far with some of the language it used and some of the way that it organized its complaint. That is still to be seen exactly how far they get with certain aspects of that document. I have my doubts about significant portions of it. And yes, The Activision Blizzard developers don't deserve to burn at the stake for the same reason that the entire culture of the company might at the end of this story. And so Jeff Keighley looks at it and says, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to handle this. Tells the Washington Post honestly that he's trying to work to navigate it and then gets article after article after article about how it isn't right that Jeff Keighley is choosing to do nothing. I just pulled up the Kotaku version uh, because I found that to be interesting, but... All of this attention caused Jeff Keighley later on to essentially put together a mea culpa thread here on December 4th on Twitter. He says, beyond its nominations, I can confirm that Activision Blizzard will not be a part of this year's Game Awards. The Game Awards is a time of celebration for the industry, the biggest form of entertainment in the world. There is no place for abuse, harassment, or predatory practices in any company or any community, which is a bit of a non sequitur based on the Game Awards as a celebration. But then he continues... I also realize we have a big platform which can accelerate and inspire change. We are committed to that, but we all need to work together to build a better and more inclusive environment so everyone feels safe to build the world's biggest games or best games. All of us are accountable to this standard. Incredible games and the talented developers who build them are who we want to celebrate. See you on Thursday. And that is intended as an apology and a mea culpa. And as I've said before, I'm not sure he needed fully to give one based on what he told the Washington Post. And it doesn't really change anything. But this seemed to satisfy a number of folks and not a number of folks. If you look in the comments to this Twitter thread, you'll see a number of angry people still at Jeff Keighley. But the point is Activision Blizzard has created this kind of wedge issue for everybody talking about video games at seemingly all points in time in the game journalism sphere. And I don't blame them for that. This is one of the biggest stories of the year. But Jeff Keighley, who clearly just wants to go out there and make video game videos and announce things and talk about the matrix with Keanu Reeves or whatever else they're gonna do on this show this week, is not the right person to try to navigate crisis messaging on this particular point. And I do feel for him, because he didn't ask for any of this from Activision Blizzard, and he does have Activision Blizzard people on his board. Will things change in the future? I don't know. I'm certainly inspired by some of the things that happened at the Game Awards. I would love to see developers be a bigger part of the presentations at that particular show, but ultimately Activision Blizzard, the story presses on and the Game Awards will go off just like they always do. Now, as of today, we have two major updates, both of which really people ask me about pretty extensively and which require a little bit of nuance to talk about. So over the weekend, Austin O'Brien, which is a community manager type role at Raven, tweeted the following. I am gutted right now. My friends in quality assurance at Raven were promised for months that Activision was working towards a pay restructure to increase their wages. Today, one by one, valuable members of the team were called into meetings and told they were being let go. These people were asked to relocate to Madison, Wisconsin to work here. Now they are out of a job on January 28th. So Activision did give them the holidays, which I think is at least a note worth making. Our QA team does incredible work, but this will not only increase their workload, but crush morale. If any industry friends have open positions, please share them. If it isn't clear, says Austin O'Brien, this is bullshit. It's unfair to these people to string them along, promising something better, and then let them go. I am infuriated right now. And I think this is a worthwhile kind of sequence of emotions. I'm gutted. This is bullshit. I'm infuriated, et cetera, et cetera. And it certainly sounds like bad business practice. The couple of things that I did note even when this story went out here is that valuable members of the team were called, called into meetings and told they were being let go. Doesn't really talk about how many, doesn't talk about the entire QA division going away. And I was always interested in what that number was. And we got that answer today, which we'll talk about in just a second. But this portion of the story is, again, very descriptive of a kind of bad corporate actor. And we know this a little bit already about Activision, right? We know that they tend to cut off whole divisions with Fairly little notice. We saw this with eSports and eSports Communications a couple years back. We're seeing this now where if you have this fact pattern, hey, we ask you to relocate, apparently they didn't pay for it. You can see that in other sources. I, I can't verify that for myself, but you see other folks saying that they weren't paid to relocate. They were just asked to, and then a number of them were fired is absolutely bad behavior. And yet, I do have videos in this space in virtual legality that comment on the fact that Activision isn't a job program, and Activision might be making determinations that are completely justified on how value is perceived at the company. It's entirely impossible to say. And certainly, if you're looking at a company like Activision Blizzard that has acted so poorly in so many ways this year, it's very hard to believe that they aren't doing the same in this respect. I totally understand that. Frankly, I probably come to the same conclusion. But it is worth noting that companies do lay off people. Let's see what's happening today. Steven Totillo again. Some workers at Call of Duty Warzone Maker and Activision subsidiary Raven are walking out today. I should point out that a number of subsidiaries work on Warzone. Protesting the surprise dismissal of a dozen game testers on Friday. So 12, we can assume. And demanding that all are offered full-time jobs. Call of Duty is among the most lucrative series in the world. Now here we have a few non sequiturs, right? If you have a problem with, activision laying off what appears to be temporary contract workers getting their jobs back is one request making them full-time positions is an entirely different request that's an entirely different regime that exists at a corporate headquarters and it's an entirely different set of check boxes that they have to make in terms of compliance with laws and the rest so that is a significant request and essentially asking for a better world than they left had activision blizzard not moved at all I always look at these things as what can you possibly get, right? I negotiate things for a living. And maybe this is a big ask so that they can just get their old jobs back. But it is a big ask. And it's very unlikely to be granted by Activision Blizzard. It's very unlikely to be granted by a good faith corporate actor, let alone what we think Activision Blizzard might be based on what we've seen over the last four months. Here's the actual statement from the folks walking out. On Friday, December 3rd, 12 of Raven Software's quality assurance testers were brought into individual meetings and informed that their contracts would be terminated on January 28th. Here's another kind of interesting bit of language. Contractors, as you might suspect, operate under contracts. Some of them are going to operate under term contracts or contracts that have a definite end time. One question I would have is are those contracts being terminated or are they not being renewed? Because that's a different set of questions. And I think have a different kind of ethical boundary to them. If you've got a contract, you know it has a certain end date and you moved to Wisconsin anyway, that's a little bit different to me than you have an interminable contract, it's gonna last forever and you moved and now they're terminating you unexpectedly. I don't get that answer to the story here because I'm not sure that those details are super important to the actors in play. These individuals were let go in good standing, meaning they had not underperformed or committed any fireable offense, their layoffs. The majority of those who were not let go on December 3rd are still unsure about the status of their employment. Sure, I would be worried about it. These personnel cuts come after five weeks of overtime and before an anticipated end of year crunch. The QA team, which at this point in time mainly works on Call of Duty Warzone so far, has been reduced by just over 30%. So We got a number now. It's 34, 35 people that operate at the company. This team was told multiple times by Raven leadership that there were positive departmental changes coming. These upcoming changes were also used as the reason why no members of the team received standard promotions or raises that were meant to be in place by March of 2021. The 12 individuals who have been let go so far are considered by their colleagues to be essential to the everyday functioning of the Raven QA team. Several of those who were let go recently relocated to Wisconsin in anticipation of the return to in-person work. They did so without relocation assistance from Raven due to reassurances from the studio that their workload was consistent. Call of Duty Warzone, which recently announced the release of a new map and integration with the Call of Duty Vanguard title, earns $5.2 million per day. And here's where we get a little bit of that confluence. right? I know nobody wants to hear this and that's totally fine, right? Corporate lawyer, throw me over the side of the boat. That's fine. But the actual earnings of Warzone or Call of Duty or the fact that it makes $5.2 million per day is not actually responsive to answer the question of whether this individual, this department, this function at the company is giving value to that company, is helping provide the $5 million per day. Far more useful is the rest of this paragraph. I'm listening far more significantly to these individuals are essential to the everyday functioning. That's important language. How much money your company makes on the whole, A little bit less so. Because as we saw, and I talked about this in this space, Activision getting rid of its eSports division and earning a ton of money that same year aren't actually the same discussion because Activision can make a ton of money and still see a division that's losing money or that it doesn't want to invest in further. And those two decisions can still make sense for a good corporate actor. Now, Activision Blizzard could just be acting terribly, could just be lining their pockets, and a number of people think that's the case. And after all I've seen for the last four months, who am I to tell them that they're wrong? And yet... The fact that the company is making money doesn't necessarily mean that it is some evil act to switch around its resources to something that management thinks will be more productive now and in the future. That's a terrible message for an individual that's gotten land off. And I totally understand that. It's a tragic circumstance. It's something nobody wants to go through. And yet, it doesn't mean the company is evil necessarily. They can be. And we'll reserve that. We'll keep that open for this particular company that's having a lot of difficulty talking to the public and dealing with everything that it's facing right now. But it is at least a bit of a non sequitur in a vacuum. In response to the events of Friday, the Raven QA team and other members of Raven staff will be walking out with a singular demand. Every member of the QA team, including those terminated on Friday, must be offered full-time positions. So it's not just an ask for those terminated. It's an ask for every contractor in QA. Those participating in this demonstration do so with the continued success of the studio at the forefront of their mind. The Raven QA department is essential to the day-to-day functioning of the studio as a whole. Terminating the contracts of high-performing testers in a time of consistent work and profit puts the health of the studio at risk. And there they're tying that concept. It's a very useful public concept, by the way. There's nothing wrong politically with the court of public opinion saying these things. It tends to work very, very well in people reporting on these kinds of things and otherwise thinking about them. But I just want to note that it is at least a distinct question in my mind and certainly as I've advised clients in the past. Additionally, these actions go directly against the positive culture that Raven has created over the years. The end goal of this walkout is to ensure the continued growth of Raven as a studio and to foster a positive community for everyone who works there. And I think all of that is super important, right? We talked earlier in this video about the fact that Activision Blizzard on the whole appears to have a morale problem. And it's certainly one that everybody on the outside could understand doing these kinds of things. When I can't rule out that they aren't just a bad actor lining their pockets. When you have individuals at Raven actually saying these folks are essential, that the positive community is being impacted negatively. And Raven is in charge in some important respect of one of your biggest moneymakers. All of that is very, very significant. And we have no reason to doubt them. We can question exactly how many people are walking out and what this will look like in actual function. But in terms of this message, a lot of it is good. And Activision needs to start taking this stuff into account. They've lost all sorts of stakeholders in this. And their employees seem to be one of the most significant. That had been at least somewhat limited to headquarters and Blizzard. You start throwing on Raven and Treyarch and Infinity Ward and High Moon or whoever else this happens to. And you start to have a real legitimate mutiny. And you start to open the door significantly for actually having 50% of those folks sign a card and get a union in place at one of the biggest publishers in the world. It's a very, very interesting time. Stephen Totillo also found a comment from Activision responding, says it's growing its overall investment in its development and operations resources. We are converting approximately 500 temporary workers to full-time employees. Unfortunately, as part of this change, we also have notified 20 temporary workers across studios that their contracts would not be extended. And again, if we could just believe this, I would sit here and tell you on this video that that makes some sense to me. Hey, they are going to convert a lot. They're investing more money in the group on the whole. And sometimes that means you have to do value adjustments. You have to look at exactly what the people are providing, what the departments are doing for your company and make good choices so that you can, in fact, fund the 500 temporary workers getting full-time employees and make significant changes investing in your future that hopefully make everybody better off. And yet we're looking at a company who I've criticized now for 30 plus videos in terms of messaging, how they're going out. And I too find it difficult to believe on its face virtually anything they put out there. So I can certainly understand if you're looking at this and saying, Rick, you shouldn't even give them the time of day because we can't believe a thing that they say. That said, if we could, this is the kind of statement that I think is actually pretty normalizing, that it makes sense. End of year, we're not gonna renew some contracts if they are otherwise up on January 28th, and we're instead going to make full-time employees out of a whole swath of you, but that means that other changes are gonna to have to happen across the company. Totally normal for a good corporate actor. It's just a question of whether we can call Activision Blizzard a good corporate actor, and I have as many doubts as you do. Finally, we're gonna finish off with one of the more thorny stories of the weekend, PlayStation executive fired after Sting. Now, a number of you brought this story to my attention days before this December 6th date that I've given. I wanna tell you a little bit about my policies here in virtual legality. I got a YouTube video essentially sent to me about this individual getting caught in a sting of a YouTube channel I didn't recognize with proof that I didn't see. And I wanted to wait a little bit on this particular story. And I think it was sent to me primarily Because of some of the commentary I've done here in Activision Blizzardland about Xbox and PlayStation, I did a video asking the question about whether these two companies would wind up doing anything more than just sending an email to their employees and maybe in the case of Phil, confirming it to various journalistic outlets. And I said, I didn't think that it would happen, primarily because Xbox and Sony don't need the pressure of a greater regulatory or public eye on them. They don't know what skeletons are in their closet. They don't know what other developers or publishers might do. So at the end of the day, we look at the situation and say, well, they probably don't want that extra exposure or even political capital risk. This entire concept has becoming home to roost a little bit, as we talked about last week, where we see Sony is sued for gender discrimination. Now, I looked at this particular lawsuit. You can check out the video that I did, and I found it significantly weaker than what California or the EEOC had put out there against Activision. But it's clear that there's a certain amount of blood in the water. And I think people figured that this story, Sony Fire's PlayStation exec who allegedly appeared in Pedophile Sting video, kind of met with that specific issue. I'm going to tell you, I don't find it to be the same kind of concept as office sexual harassment or wage discrimination or those kinds of things. And I think what this individual is accused of is particularly bad. It certainly has a sexual component that you can attach with some of the things we've been talking about at Activision Blizzard, but there is a distinction to be made between essentially off-hours bad acts, and this is some of the highest kind of bad act, so I am not trying to diminish what's been found, the fact that he got fired, any of those kinds of things, and creating a hostile and problematic work environment for your workers, either through discrimination or harassment. So I don't view it as the same kind of story. That said, it is close enough in proximity that I don't blame others for viewing it as the same kind of story. And I think that's part of the reason this is getting reported on in this fashion. So just to give you a little bit of context here, this article from CNET says, a Sony senior vice president who worked on the PlayStation network has been terminated from his job after getting caught up in an amateur pedophilia sting video. And I would add an allegedly here. There's not a lot of proof from People versus Preds, the YouTube channel, that this individual is who they say it is, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that he was fired was ultimately what convinced me to make this section of the video as it is. There's at least some circumstantial evidence that there's veracity here, but we have to be very, very careful with these kinds of accusations. Certainly this channel isn't making these kinds of accusations. Hello, defamation lawyers. But... It is important enough to note that he was fired. It is important enough to know Activision Blizzard and the rest of the gaming industry has this kind of spotlight on it. It is important enough to note that Jim Ryan talked to his people about questioning Activision Blizzard. They then got sued for gender discrimination. They then have this story pop up in the news. And you can see, even if this isn't the same kind of story, exactly why Microsoft and Sony and Nintendo have been playing things close to the vest. Because you don't know every employee in your massive multinational corporation. You don't know exactly what they're doing on off hours. That's distinct from what management can do to make sure their employees are safe while on the job. And so I think it's different, but I also understand how some people could say, no, it's not. Sony just said, we're aware of the situation and the employee in question has been terminated. They then describe exactly what happened in this video. And it's a kind of standard sting that you might see on the cable news networks and people versus Preds Confirm that the information was sent to the San Diego County District Attorney's office. So as part of the Activision Blizzard kind of update strand here, I view this a little bit like the Microsoft shareholders asking for more transparency. All these companies, every company in the video game industry and maybe even the tech industry have a spotlight on them. And so this is going to happen more and more, hopefully not to this extent. Stories are going to be written. Lawsuits are going to be filed because Some folks are definitely taking advantage of situations and potentially creating problematic work environments. So Activision Blizzard, despite how we may feel about that company, I do think is performing a valuable service insofar as everybody is interested in looking at these questions about how these companies are operating. The fact that Microsoft shareholders actually wound up approving a change of this type is a significant part of this story, even when I think the PlayStation executive story is lascivious. It is of interest to folks that are otherwise customers of PlayStation and Sony Interactive Entertainment, but it isn't quite the same as Activision Blizzard proper. So here we are. We got through all of the updates that I had set forth in my video. We did it in under an hour. And how did Activision fare throughout this somewhat tumultuous period? Fine-ish. Over the last five days, you can see a big bounce back day today even though we had a couple of stories pop today. But if we go back in time far enough, you can see that Activision's had a very tricky year. And over the course of this 2021, given back a large section of the gains that it had made from 2019 and through the pandemic year, where every video game company really scaled the heights heretofore unheard of. So Activision having an interesting time in terms of stock price. I don't know that I would describe it as plummeting, as you saw referenced in some of these stories, but certainly you don't want to be on the minus side for the past month in the double digits. And it will be interesting to see how many more updates follow on from here. But hopefully that was interesting to you. That was fun for you to explore potpourri of Activision Blizzard updates. If you enjoy this kind of conversation, if you find value in it, if you like talking about the business and law of video games technology and more, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon, other ways to support it below, and just subscribing. Upvoting, downvoting, telling your friends, sharing it on Reddit or forums or Twitter or wherever else you find yourself, every little bit helps. Now, if you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only.